Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. So a question for us as we start today looking at this passage from 1 Kings chapter 19 is this, does God speak to us? Does he communicate to us as his people? And more personally, does he speak to you? Do you hear from God? So I want to tell you uh, this story and jump into the text from 1 Kings about this prophet Elijah, a person who speaks from God. And we're going to see one of the ways in which God speaks. This story teaches us something powerful. Think about what you would want if you could have anything. Anything in the world could be yours. Wealth, power, and fame. As I read this story, it makes my heart desire to have the kind of relationship with God and to pursue after the kind of relationship with God that he is speaking to me as often and as casually and as powerfully as I speak with my friends or we speak together today. So let's pray and ask for the Lord to teach us. We do thank you, Lord, that your word is not written by the ingenuity of mankind, but by the power of your spirit, that your word is truth. Your word has the power to change our lives eternally. So may we hear today you speak to us, and when we hear your voice, may we obey. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are the ways in which God speaks to us? There's, I think, primarily four ways. Um, he speaks to our hearts. So the first way is that he speaks to our hearts through creation or created order. He is communicating to us through the universe, through the world. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. It's as if creation is screaming at us in silence saying, this is designed by someone really amazing. You should get to know him. The Apostle Paul jumps onto this in Romans chapter 1 when he says this, Romans chapter 1 verse 20, for since the creation of the world, touching into Psalm 19, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen their eyes, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without an excuse. The second way that God speaks to us, we heard Amir's testimony, that God speaks to us through his word, through scripture, which is generally about the word made flesh, the person of Jesus Christ. Again, in Psalm 19, probably one of my favorite psalms, the psalmist says, the law, the teaching of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, 
making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. So the scriptures is God's message to us, and Jesus Christ is the star of the show of the scriptures. A third way that God speaks to us is through circumstances and events. I was listening as Amir shared a friend calling and texting. God speaks to his people through his people. He has things to say to us through circumstances and events and often through others. And yet a, third, a fourth way that God speaks and probably the less popular way that God speaks to our hearts is in silence. In a gentle whisper, a still, small voice. Angela Kay asked me, what are you preaching on? And I said, I, I got close to her ear and I whispered. And she said, that wasn't gentle at all. But this is one of the ways that God speaks to us in this unmistakable, gentle whisper. So here is Elijah the prophet whom God has called to do great things. And he has just completed the epic standoff of standoffs. There's this story in 1 Kings 18 where 400 prophets of Baal gather together. Baal is this god of the demons, and they gathered to take him out. And they were authorized by a king named Ahab and his wife Jezebel to finish off this prophet, this troubler of Israel. And Elijah shows up on the scene and he smack talks the prophets of Baal in an epic biblical showdown of one man versus 400 prophets. First Kings 18.20 says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter or waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. As you may know or may remember from this story, God miraculously blows up the false prophets. And I would encourage you to read this chapter 18. And shortly after this showdown, King Ahab and Jezebel burn in anger against Elijah and they issue a death warrant for him. And he does what any brave, strong, and courageous prophet would do. He runs for his life. One minute he was larger than life, and the next minute he is running for it. First Kings 19.3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. We've talked twice about hearing from God in this sermon series on Light from Light. 
First chapter, first, uh, the first chapter of Samuel 3, Ashley preached on so well. Speak, for your servant is listening, this willingness to hear God's word. And Dan Alger shared a few weeks ago from Deuteronomy 18 that hearing from God is hearing this scripture and hearing it in the context of community. What we're seeing in this story of Elijah is this, that the engine of our life in Christ is faith, not sight. Say that again. The engine, the drive of our life in Christ is faith, not what we see. That's the way it works. Sight does not sustain our faith. It's contrary to our thinking. If I saw the power of God and the miracles, I might be encouraged. I would just remind you, Elijah has watched God devastate in this epic showdown, the prophets of Baal, destroying them and dispatching them. And he gets a death warrant. He was already under one. And he runs in fear. This is what Elijah does after he has this pity party. He travels 40 days. And there are some numbers that are important to echo in the scriptures. And 40 is one of them. He travels to Mount Horeb where he desires to meet with God. And this is really a commendable example, I think, of faith. Even when we fear, even when we are weak, even when we are out of gas and out of faith, we have to press through to seek God. Yes, God pursues us. He comes after us, but he never forces our door down. He waits for us to respond to him. And Elijah responds to God's invitation by seeking him. Even when he is in the throes of emotions, the roller coaster of life, depression and doubt. Listen what happens next. In order to understand today's text that Father Benjamin read, you have to understand what happened previously. Moses, the great prophet, climbed the very same mountain And the mountain shook and Moses trembled and God spoke to him and the people trembled and God gave the Israelites the law, the teaching, the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets. And it's this really famous event in Israelite history, the giving of the law. So Elijah is probably expecting something similar. He's climbed the very same mountain, Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai. And he's prayed and sought God for 40 days. And he's ready to hear from God. And he's probably buckled up and he's thinking, bring on the power. 1 Kings 19.11, God says to Elijah, go out, stand on the mountain before me. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore up, tore into the mountain and broke the rocks into pieces But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Just like Moses and the other in other places where God meets with his people, 
three events took place that happened with Elijah. First, there's this wind and this power, but God did not speak to him as, as through the wind. God spoke to Job through a storm. The second is this earthquake, but God did not speak to Elijah through the earthquake, just like he did with Moses. Finally, there's a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. You see, what God is teaching Elijah here is his faith does not depend on the dramatic events. His faith is not driven by his sight. My friend Tish Harrison Warren writes in her book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, the new life into which we are baptized is lived out in days, hours, and minutes. God is forming us into a new people, and the place of that formation is in the small moments of today. Now, make no mistake, that doesn't mean I don't believe in the miraculous. We pray for it. We believe God works in amazing ways. I've seen it so much that I don't doubt it. But the point of God speaking in the still, small voice was to show Elijah that the work of God need not always be accompanied by dramatic revelation or manifestations. Divine silence does not necessarily mean divine inactivity. Zechariah, another prophet, tells us that God's work is not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, meaning the overt displays of power are not necessary for God to work. Does he work in them? Yes, but they're not necessary. Something really fascinating about this text is it tells us this still small voice, and the text doesn't tell us what the still small voice said. So I think it's fairly safe to speculate. Why is Elijah on the mountain? Because his faith was shaken. He was walking by sight, and he saw his own mortality, and he got scared, and he ran, and he whined, and he slept, and God met him and provided him for him. And he sought God for 40 days. See, we're about to go into the season of Lent where we seek God for 40 days. Elijah goes after God, and this wind and this earthquake and this fire come along, nothing. But it is in the gentle, thin whisper that God speaks. Now, if you will allow me, I would speculate that God said something like this. Elijah, what are you afraid of? Don't you know I am with you? Elijah, whose name means God is God, went to the mountain and God spoke to him softly and tenderly in a still, small voice. There are a range of translations for this phrase, a still small voice, a soft whisper, a gentle whisper, a quiet whisper, a gentle blowing wind, a soft breath. One translation has sheer silence. 
God is speaking and his voice implies breath. The breath of God, God's speaking, fills us with his spirit. Fascinating, the word for the Holy Spirit is pneuma, which means breath. It's the quiet, ordinary voice of God speaking to our hearts. It's not always dramatic or miraculous, but a very ordinary, sheer, silent whisper. Has something happened or is happening to you that has shaken your faith? Do you find yourself today afraid, reluctant, walking by sight and not by faith? Are you looking at the circumstances of life and the world and you want to run and hide and shrink back? And there has been much to make us fearful and anxious. I make no light of that. This is why it is so important to understand what our relationship to God entails. And it's these three pieces. I want to flesh them out for just a few moments. First, it is facts. Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and buried. And on the third day, he rose again. It is such a fact that the Apostle Paul says about this resurrection, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless to your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But, if he, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For the dead, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And this is where Paul drives this fact home. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's ineffective. You are still in your sins. See, my relationship with God is not based upon my feelings of my relationship with God or what is happening around me, the world and its collapsing chaos. It is based upon Jesus who walked out of a tomb, raised from the dead. And if this fact is true, I could lose everything for it and still be okay. That's why the first piece of our relationship with God is fact. The second piece is faith, my response to this fact. Do I trust in Jesus? Do I place my whole trust in him? Is he who the Bible says he is? Will I stick with him and stick to him and follow after him no matter what? So help me, God. No matter what I see in life, this fact remains. The tomb is empty. The whole world can fall apart, but the tomb is empty. I can be on my last leg, my last dollar, or my last day, but the tomb is empty. And faith is believing he is the son of God. And if that's true, friends, where else can I go? And the third piece of our relationship with God is our feelings. The fact of the resurrection and the response of faith to trust 
produces in me an indomitable spirit. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The fact of the resurrection, faith responding to that, produces in me feelings, and those feelings tell me that no matter what happens, I do not have to fear. Let's go back to 1 Kings 19, verse 13. So it was then when Elijah heard it, he heard this still small voice. Again, I'm thinking, I'm speculating. God said, what are you doing here? Why are you afraid? That he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, get back in the game. You are not finished. Your work is not done. Do not fear. It is really important that we understand our fear is anchored in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Our fear is turned towards Christ. Here's what I've sensed the Lord saying to me and to us as we've held on to this text for a couple of weeks. In this day, I see a lot of us are walking in fear, and it's causing us to waver, to be afraid. Some have given up. We have looked at the circumstances of life, the circumstances of our culture, the circumstances of the world, and we're checking out. That's why we need Lent to clear our hearts and to clear our minds and seek the voice of God. This is what Elijah did that's remarkable. In his fear and his anxiety, he ran, and then he came to his senses, and he turned to the Lord with it. Sadly, we now live in a time and are, in, are enduring a very difficult season where we can no longer coast. We're either going to walk by faith or we walk by sight. And if we walk by faith, our faith crumbles. Elijah was dependent upon the dramatic, and he wavered. And God spoke to him in the still, small voice and said, Trust me. Here are some ways that you know if you're walking by sight, you have lost the sense that God is with you or feels very foreign or very distant. I know that feeling so well. You've lost that, the trust that no matter what happens to you, to your kids, to your friends, to your life, that the same power that raised Jesus can raise you. You've lost that connection and that commitment. You're paralyzed by fear. So many of us are. And you're shrinking back from the faith. 
I find when I am uh, finding myself in fear and anxiety that I'm not interested in the things of God. I'm not concerned about the spiritual condition of family or neighbors or coworkers. I don't want to learn and grow, but rather hide. Fear robs us of perspective. I see this very powerful thing that Elijah teaches us this morning, this remarkable faith-filled decision. And for me, why is it so remarkable? Let me close with this thinking. One of the most frequent biblical commands we see in all of the scriptures is this, do not fear. When God speaks to his people, one of the most frequent commands he says to his people is do not fear. The great prophet Elijah, whom we hear in the gospel reading, is encouraging the Lord Jesus as he is about to suffer. Elijah, who feared and ran away, is now in the transfiguration, standing with Jesus, encouraging him for his own struggle and his own exodus. Elijah's example demonstrated fear turned towards God. So back to the main point, and let me close. God speaks through creation. He speaks through his word. He speaks through circumstances and others. And often he speaks in a still, small voice. Regardless of the way he is speaking, he is saying to his children, to us, do not fear. Let's pray. Most loving Father, you will give, you will us to give thanks for all things, to dread nothing but the loss of you, and to cast all our care on the one who cares for us. Preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties, and grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal in which you have manifested to, unto us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.